Hey guys, I had Virginia Sr. on the show with me this week. Virginia is an artist of all sorts, um, but she's also an architect primarily, and a chef, and an entrepreneur. She's actually involved in a lot of different art-related uh, projects, especially in the downtown Phoenix area, uh, namely Urban Beans 24-Hour Cafe, which uh, you may have noticed I record at a lot because it is awesome. Um, I wish it were all over the valley, um, but... Uh, Virginia is you know, somebody who uh, has been really active in uh, supporting the arts in a lot of different ways here in Phoenix. So I was really excited to talk with her and about you know, how you can be someone to lift up those around you and, and take some bold steps to uh, find a spot for yourself in Phoenix. So I had a lot of fun talking with her. She made me food, guys. Oh my gosh, it was a beautiful banquet of food that she made for us um, to have you know, while we were recording which I thought was just such a pleasure and, and really, uh, you know, raise the bar for uh, any future guests. Um, so I hope you guys can fix yourself uh, something delicious and vegan to eat uh, while you're listening to Virginia Senior. Welcome to Starving Artist Phoenix. I'm Tony Machetti, and I'm with Virginia Senior today. <laughs> How are you doing, Virginia? I'm doing great, Tony. How are you? I'm fantastic, particularly fantastic in that um, you prepared a spread for me as well um, that we're looking at here. When the first things you said to me, which I love, is that uh, understand Virginia. Some of it is what you see, and some of it was what you taste. So I am really looking forward to this. So um, let's let's start off with that though. So let's um, bounce around a little bit in time. So. Uh, what first got you excited about um, kind of being creative through food? Um, food is a design project, really. It's it's uh, it's something that is communal in that when you prepare food and you prepare it, prepare it with love and intention, someone is going to be nourished by it, be delighted by it, and so you're delighted by not only the flavors but also how it looks. And in that aspect, it it is pretty much a design project because you're. You're looking at, you know, how do you delight someone? How do you nourish someone? How do you um, prepare food with different ingredients? So that's almost a, it's interesting. It's almost kind of a utilitarian look at it. And that is, all right, this is the, um, the service that it is providing. You know, this is the, the purpose that this food exists. Um, so, I mean, what, what, how do you approach it as far as kind of making things interesting? Do you feel like you have a specific kind of theme to your food or a specific kind of flair that you add to it? Well, I'm, I'm most interested in, in plant-based cooking, um, and I always like the, the combination of things. The classics are, are sweet and sour. I, I really like cooking with fruit and herbs. I think the combination of the two is kind of magical because it, it can take a dish and it doesn't necessarily identify it as a dessert or as a dinner. It's it's food, and I, I like things that are unclassified. Um, is there a, a theme to the way that I cook? I, I would say uh, fresh and healthy, for sure. Um, it's got to be delicious, whatever it is. 
and I and I sample from different world cuisines. I love Mexican. I love Asian. I love you know putting them together in, in different ways. I can I can see from kind of the platter prepared. So it looks like you have some hummuses here. That looks like pozole as the soup. I'm not sure that's <laughs> and then you have scones and stuff and sandwiches on here. So definitely seeing a lot of different influences um, coming into this. That's really interesting. So. Yeah, I, I noticed, I mean, you mentioned that fresh and healthy is kind of a focus. Plant-based cooking is kind of a focus. Um, would you say sustainability is, is kind of a, a factor in all the different approaches that you have, all the different kind of artistic endeavors that you do? That's a great question because absolutely um, everything I do is informed by everything I do. So I can't take one hat off and put another hat on as a, as a real estate developer, as an architect, as an artist. Um, sustainability is, is extremely important and it's, it's a lot about uh, how we approach one another, how we approach our planet. This is our home. I think that, that you know, not to get too philosophical, but we, we have, uh, as a society in Western culture, kind of lost track with, with nature, with the fact that we are animals. We are, and and we live in this world, and and it's something that we need to take care of. I I love that approach, and I think it's interesting because still even to this day, it it seems like such a, a choice to have to say like I'm going to be the sustainability person, I'm going to be the green person, you know, in whatever field that you're in. Um, it still doesn't seem to just be the uh, the majority yet. Uh, so, is there? Do you face any, maybe not backlash, but um, any kind of extra obstacles along the way? Do you feel like um, having to define yourself as that? Obstacles are always there, for sure. And what I try to do is, is use them. Um, if somebody complains about something or, or talks about something in the negative, it, it tells you, it gives you a, a stepping off point. When someone tells me, oh, I don't like vegan food, then that's a challenge to me. So what do you not like about vegan food? It doesn't taste good. So one of the things that we try very hard is to, to make food taste good no matter what the category or label is. I embrace obstacles. I don't love them. <laughs> but the, the results are often better than what I would have come up with sitting in a box. Yeah, and I think it's uh, what you said before, you kind of embrace the classics, those sweet and sour pairings, that type of thing. Um, uh, that's something that don't have to have any specific ingredients to approach you know <laughs> I think that you know tackling it from a vegan standpoint or like a traditional meeting standpoint anything like that you can still get down to those basics and that can go a long way um, still though I mean the idea of well urban beans being a 24-hour vegan cafe I mean a 24-hour cafe in itself is an endeavor but throwing in the vegan in there that seems like an obstacle not necessarily an obstacle but like an extra uh, challenge that you put on there yourself are you somebody who continuously is challenging themselves, trying to improve themselves? I am as well as my partner. Um, <laughs> he challenges me and, and I hope I challenge him. And to fucking jump in, that's, that's Nathaniel Burns who we've heard on the podcast a little bit before with Lerder Ant. <laughs> yes, um, he's, he's very inspiring and the part of why we went 24 hours is basically community because what we saw is that Phoenix is a, a world-class city and they had no place to, to come other than unmentionables <laughs> that, that served really good food and, and provided community, provided a, a, a safe, creative, inspiring, and, and positive place. 
and um, you know, going on four years, being 24 hours, um, it's going strong. People know us as a place to come after a show or after work, or, or they might just live an alternative time clock themselves, and they um, come and, and spend time here. So there's always something happening here. I appreciate that, and I, I think that's interesting that you, uh, I know I keep on saying, oh, that's interesting, but it really is. <laughs> but I, uh, I think it is interesting that um, you, you, br you bring the idea of community into it from 24 hours, because I think when people first think 24 hours, maybe because of those unmentionable properties, franchises that, that go along with them, that it's kind of, it brings a certain like crowd to mind, like you're 24 hours, so you can get that 2 a.m. crowd, that type of thing. Um, so... I, I think that it's really interesting what you're what you're bringing to the table, and that um, you you're thinking of those people who just have alternative timelines, who 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 maybe do yeah they they do have to be up at four o'clock in the morning, but it doesn't mean they don't want a scone. <laughs> it doesn't mean that they don't want you know something nice and healthy. You know, I I used to work. Um, in a, like a late night thing getting off at three o'clock in the morning usually your only options I, this wasn't back in flagstaff your only options were fast food for the most part or you know sitting down at a diner so i, I can definitely see the appeal of something like that um now you have you always been somebody community focused uh i think that that my experiences in in architecture and art um really kind of prove that out um i am a printmaker and one of the things that I have done over the years is had print printmaking workshops, and that is, for me, so fantastic because it brings together uh, people that have never done prints before and, and accomplished artists that many of the names you would know. And when when they all get together and they're all sitting at a table and they all have the palettes in front of them, there's just this this energy and and. Uh, magic that happens with inspiring one another and I, I hear that from all of the people that attend the workshops that they love what they love most is that they're there with other people and they often say I've done my best work being with other people so that bringing together of community is is it is it's central to my DNA um, in in architecture I love the public aspect of architecture. There, there is nothing greater than in public art than architecture. It is a very public art, and it's for people to to use, to see, to view. It becomes part of their experience, whether they drive by it on their way to work, whether they work in it, whether they visit the building, um, whatever it is. So, a quick story: I was hired to. Uh, years ago to, to redesign the plaza of the um, Herberger Theater Center and incorporate sculptures from um, John Henry Waddell who created the sculptures that are there now. Uh, that to me was fantastic because I got to work with John Henry Waddell who had created these sculptures for a very specific place at Symphony Hall. When they renovated Symphony Hall they put them on ice basically. So at that time when they brought them back out, um, I was able to work with him to cite the sculptures. There are 12 dancers and um, the, the way that they fit together, the way they face one another, it was very important to him. And so to, to reimagine that in a very different landscape, basically blown apart to enhance the Herberger Theater Center, um, was 
again, very public, but also um, I had the opportunity to, to collaborate with the artist. And the, the most telling thing is that when I see people walk diagonally through the plaza, because they're, they're drawn into it, then I know I did my job. That is a powerful image to think of. It's the idea of someone going out of their way to specifically view the art a little bit closer. That's, that's fantastic. Um, now, the idea of promoting an artist and, and working with an artist is something that is uh, another kind of through line with a lot of what you do. Um, so you mentioned before we started recording that your parents were artists. So did you work on your own art from a young age or was it something that's always been there for you? Uh, I'm not sure. I oh, what, what, so, if your parents were artists, I, I guess I'm just asking, like, what, were they encouraging you to create your own art from from a young age, or or was it something oh you kind of discovered on your own? Sorry. Um, it, yes, my uh, my mother. Um, every weekend, we had an art project. My three sisters and I. And it, the the funny thing to me is that when I was 12 years old, I thought everybody had a bandsaw and everybody did <laughs> did um, you know. Uh, various, I mean, we always had a, a kiln and a, a potter's wheel. We, we always had all those things, and I thought everybody had all those things. Um, so, yes, my mother, and my grandmother was an artist as well. My mother really instilled in myself and my sisters, you can do anything, you can be anything, just be creative and, and use creativity. Creativity crosses all boundaries, and you know, if you're a dentist, you need to be creative. If you're well, accountant, you shouldn't be too creative. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, that's her strong belief. My father, his creativity and, and art was expressed through furniture design, um, as well as food and, and cooking, um, and uh, very inspired by his very systematic approach to things. So you explored a lot of different media than it sounds like as you were growing up. Was there any in particular that you felt personally attached to when it came to working with pottery or painting like two-dimensional art anything like that growing up no no, <laughs> no anything I, and everything. Uh, um, I I will tell you that my mother told me years later that she worried about me the most because I I was quiet and and I um, I didn't really excel and so when I told her that I wanted to be an architect she said, years later, I lay awake at night wondering if I should tell her, I, I don't know, Virginia, I don't know if that's a, a role for oh you. Uh, and lucky, luckily, she didn't say that. She just said, well, I, I thought, you know, if that's what you want to do, go for it. And um, so I appreciate her, to this day, her strong support in, in the things that I want to do. My mother um, was a silversmith. And so I learned silversmithing from her as well. And so years later, living in Boston as an architect in a, in a firm, I, I needed a creative outlet. And so I started making uh, jewelry. And I set up a little jeweler's bench in my studio apartment. And I had, a, I had an acetylene torch and pots of acid and, and, and actually uh, had some success with that. I would say that's probably why I was drawn to architecture, because there isn't one aspect that that calls to me. It's the overall. It's the overall of, of bringing all the arts together, and every architecture 
is a, a basically a design problem to solve. And, and that's what I love. Now, did you discover the field um, just through, like you said, your grandparents, um, your grandfather um, making furniture and that type of thing? Or was it something that you explored on your own as you grew up? Uh, how did you first stumble into architecture, I guess? <laughs> what was appealing to me about architecture is that it's a combination of art and technology. And so the technology side, you can learn. The art side, you have to have within you. And I admit that there was a little bit of you know, my parents didn't really make their money doing the art that they wanted to do. And so I was concerned that if I went to art school and became an artist, I'd end up as a waitress. So um, that's what drew me to architecture is that it, it actually combines technology and art and you can you can do the two together. In fact, my first firm was called Senior Osterly Architecture Plus Art because I felt like art needed to be infused in the architecture. Excellent. Now, something that you mentioned to me again before we recorded was uh, that when you first came to Phoenix, um, you, you jumped right into creating your own firm. Um, so I, I <laughs> am a little surprised by that because I feel like a lot of people, they'll, they'll kind of start off taking those baby steps, especially when you're in a new area. Um, has, has that always been the idea of yours just to I'll just do it myself and we'll, we'll see how it goes or pretty much <laughs> um, yes uh, I learned independence at an early age and um, one of the things that excites me is um, we truly do live in the land of opportunity so when I when I came to Phoenix I realized that uh, I could I could invent myself. So I don't have a degree in art, um, but I started entering every, every open call for um, art galleries, public art, and I built up a resume. My work has been exhibited in, in multiple galleries and in stores, and um, I've been in several shows. And I, I even had friends much later who said, how come you get to do all this public art, friends that were architects? And I said, because I became an artist. I, I, I worked to do that. I worked to get a resume. I worked to put my work out there. Um, nobody, nobody gave me a degree in art. I, I created that. Um, the same thing in, in architecture, and I think what draws me to um, real estate development is that you, the seeds of that creation or what your your problem is, what you need to start. Nathaniel and I go look at raw land all the time, and that's really exciting because, you know, nobody has said, well, we're going to put the building like this, or it's going to be this. You know, it's what could we do with this? Um, how how could this work within the larger context of neighborhood and city? Um, what what is needed here? Th those are the questions that we ask ourselves when we when we look at something like that. From a pure process standpoint, I'm kind of curious too, when you, when you do have a piece of raw land like that and you are, you know, letting your, your mind kind of race with all the possibilities, um, what does that actually look like, um, you know, on paper as you're developing? You know, what, how does it go from an abstract thought to something, you know, steel and wood? That's a good question. Um, there's a, a, a number of things that you look at as, a, as a, a developer or as an architect. Certainly budget is going to be a big determinant on what you do. 
local code zoning um, what what is possible to put on the land and what what are the setbacks what are the um, the parameters of height and um, number of units if it's a housing project or number of stories if it's a commercial project so you take all of those things and then you also look at um, how is it sited? Where's the entrance? Where are the streets? Is there an alley? And when you start, all of those things start to tighten up. Um, then you start applying budget, and then you start looking for financing, and then then you start creating the actual piece that come. It kind of bubbles up from looking at all of those parameters. Interesting. Now, when you are applying all of these kind of parameters to your own thought processes, um, are you already thinking about it before, I guess, before those become you know, actual numbers in front of you? Or are you, when you're trying to look at something creatively, I guess I'm asking, is uh, do you already try to apply some of those restrictions in your head, or are you just letting it flow really free? Uh, no, the, definitely those principles are, yeah. are in my head. Because, you know, the worst... The worst thing to to uh, tell an artist is just paint something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you, you, the the parameters actually give you some um, some bounce backs. You know, if if I'm limited to three stories, then I look at okay, what can be done in three stories? So that becomes um, you know an, an answer. The design process is often question and answer. You, Louis Kahn is a famous architect, and um, this quote is known th throughout architecture. He, he said, I asked a brick, what does a brick want to be? Um, it, it's that kind of, you know, some of it's just uh, nuts and bolts, and some of it is, is philosophical. Some of it is, you know, what is needed here? And you, you look for that answer, but you got to have the questions to ask. And I, I love that you have been framing it a few times as um, what can you do with this? Is it like you know, what can you do with three stories? What can you do with this space? I think that's a really uh, you know positive way of looking at things. Just saying like what are the absolute limits I can push this to, rather than saying all right, what does this restrict me to? Um, I think that's that's really cool and exciting and just an unconscious thing. <laughs> I, I like a lot. Um, so as uh, there. You've talked a little bit about um, how the current firm you're working with is an architect uh, that works on multi multifamily homes, that type of thing. Um, you've shown me some, some images of condominiums and stuff that you do. Uh, how do you how do you gauge, I guess, what is is valuable in a space? What is valuable in a space? Um, well, I, I would go back to asking questions and, and working at CCBG. When I have a, a client, a developer, um, that's great because I can ask them questions <laughs> and I can find out you know what are their goals what are what what do they want to bring out and I use my skills and my talent to help bring out what they want to bring out they may have a, a goal of a certain number of, of units let's say but the the developers that I've been working with um, are very interested in you know what do you think would go well here um, they also sometimes will get marketing reports, look at other competition because competition is a is a big part of it. Um, you know what what am I providing? What is other what are other people providing? So it's interesting. It's a collaborative process when you work with with a, a developer. 
that uh, that relationship is something that, that really interests me. Um, just the idea, of, I, it's something I've talked to you on, and artists of different media and stuff as well, just the idea of having a client, having um, someone else's thoughts that you're trying to express or trying to um, kind of make real in a, in a specific way. So is there a lot of give and take with that? Do you kind of have to to be the person who says no to kind of shut things out a little bit? Or are you kind of just doing your best to to stimulate them and and their own growth and seeing where it goes. Definitely there's a lot of give and take. And um, that's what makes the process interesting. And hopefully um, the the combined um, uh, input from both creates something that's greater than what either would do on their own. If if a developer said to me, here's piece of land, just do anything you want, it would be very different than working back and forth with them and so while sometimes developer might say this is great but I want more parking spaces and the first thing I say is you can't have more parking spaces there's no more room I've already done everything absolutely the this is the most parking spaces ever and then I say all right let's see and so then I look at you know a recent uh, project that I was working on there was not enough room to put another drive aisle, but there is an alley. And so then I thought, well, instead of incorporating all of the parking inside the parking garage, I can have some of it back to back off of the alley. You just have to drive in off of the alley. And so we were able to increase the number of parking spaces. But I wouldn't necessarily have done that if the client didn't say to me, hell no, I want more parking spaces. So. I mean, it's not contentious, but, you know, it's, they, they put up that challenge. So that's kind of a, you know, call and response thing that happens. Now, do you feel like your experience as a developer yourself influences that relationship at all for you? Absolutely. I, Brian Cassidy, who's the managing principal at CCBG, has, has said to me, you know, I, I appreciate and, and like that you have a very different background you're a restaurateur, you're an artist, you're a developer, you're an architect. So I, I can't just wear one hat. I'm, um, and our, our clients at CCBG, I think, appreciate that I understand finances and budget. Because I, I know what they're going through. So I'm not just saying, this is beautiful stone. I want to use the stone on the side of the building. You know, I say, well, you know, this is, I need to find materials that are going to um, be within the budget, but also create, you know, the, the value that they're looking to create. So, yes, all of my my experiences um, I carry with me. They influence everything I do. Now, I want to go back to something you mentioned a little bit earlier, kind of along the same theme, um, just where you said that uh, it's, it's art meets technology when it comes to architecture. Um, so, uh, where does one begin and the other end, I guess? How, how much do you feel like someone has to bring to the table before they can, like, I guess, be prepared to take on you know, a formal education like you have? Well, you never stop learning as, as an architect. Um, when you come out of school, you, you have some skills. Um, the the uh, architectural licensing in this country is set up so that you work under a licensed architect for a number of years before you are... Uh, even allowed to take your exam to become an architect. So, and, and it varies two to three years. So in that time, 
you are learning quite a lot about technology. Hopefully in school you learned how to ask questions. That's the biggest thing you really need to learn about technology in school. So there's a lot of resources and uh, every manufacturer has, has um, you know, engineers working for them and if you put yourself out there you can learn a lot on your own and, and you need to because your education doesn't stop once you get your degree. Absolutely. No, I think that's that's always an important thing to think about is, you know, that when you're going into any kind of specialized school like that, it can kind of be this this is what you need and go from there. But I don't know. Uh, <laughs> like the way you put that, I guess I can't build on it more than that. <laughs> but uh, I do want to um, uh, focus on a little bit on, on your other community efforts and your other community projects. Uh, now, I, I did see that you've uh, participated a few times in the Pi Social that they do. Um, so uh, when it comes to stuff like that, opportunities like that, where you're really kind of just putting yourself out there and, and just, you know, giving something back to the community in that small way, um, is there any motivation that you have in particular with doing something like that? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Again, it's about community, and it's about showing people that you can you can elevate something as as simple and classic as a pie. One year, we took on a, a straight up apple pie, and it can't get more basic than that. And and that year, we we were actually given an award for a couple of them. But um, <clears throat> but it, it's 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 taking, you know. The, the very basic simple ingredients and what you do, how do you elevate that? And again, that's, I mean, I, I know I'm saying this over and over, but it, because it's true, everything, everything I look at, I look at the same way. So if somebody says, I want you to make an apple pie, I'm gonna look at what is the best way to make that apple pie. Um, and so it comes from, people I've been inspired by, it, it comes from myself, and it comes from whatever the palate is, in that case, pie. Now, is this, uh, yeah, this is a little bit of a loaded question, but um, when it comes to things like that, is it, uh, is there ever kind of a promotional element to it? I mean, do you feel like you, if you are somebody who is a business owner, who is, you know, somebody active in the town, you need to use those type of experiences to kind of make sure you get the word out a little bit or make sure people see your face? Or, or is it not about being Virginia senior of, of urban beans? Like that? Uh, a, a little secret. Everything is selling. <laughs> Um, and you should never forget that. And no matter what you're doing, you are always selling. Um, and by selling, what I mean is you, you, are, you are promoting, you are educating, you are showing. Um, so, yes, of course, I'm, I'm promoting. Um, and, and what I'm promoting is all the things that we've been talking about. Creativity, good design, good food, nutrition, inspiration community those are all the things that, that I'm selling yeah I, I, I assumed that was going to be your answer before I asked it actually a little bit um, specifically because you you were talking about how you have a lot of work in um, local a lot of areas a lot of public art um, you should be a picture of something that you had I believe in the Scottsdale Museum of Art mm -hmm. um, so when it comes to something like that it, it is I think a really promotional endeavor you know you really have to put yourself out there to to make those connections happen. So has that always been something you feel particularly skilled at, or is that a, a skill you had to develop, that confidence, I guess, to approach that? I'm an introvert. It is <laughs> definitely a skill that I've had to develop. Um, I'd rather show somebody my work than talk about my work. 
So, yes. So how did you, I, I guess, realize you were ready to do that? How did you broach that? That's a good question. <laughs> um, I, I think focusing on, on what I'm trying to get across, I think that communication is very important and something that I continually struggle with, look to, improve upon, um, find ways to, to communicate better. Um, so it's a work in progress. Was there a point where you had to accept that your work was good enough, I guess, to do that? I mean, was there ever kind of a turning point when it came to, all right, this is ready to be presented? Is that something that you struggle with? Or are you pretty confident in your work to be able to speak for itself? I struggle every time I present something. There's something that that um, has been a personal philosophy of mine about art. And when I say art, I'm incorporating everything. There's two stages to art. The, the first stage is in the creation, which is very personal and very private. And you, the, the artist has a relationship with the art. And that's... Nobody can ever take that away nobody can ever inject in that that's that's what that is the second stage is when you turn it over when it when it becomes public and then everybody that sees that art whether it's food or a building or a painting then they have a relationship with that art that is not necessarily the artist and so whether somebody loves it or hates it, it is not really a reflection on me it's a reflection on on the person because now they have that relationship with the art so I see so that I mean that's a tough thing I, I know a lot of artists must struggle with is just that idea that you don't have any kind of control over that um, so I I really particularly like that answer that you said that you do still struggle with it because I think it's something that you can let that kind of struggle push you back into the corner and, and not ever present it or you can kind of just accept it and work with it for you know however long it needs to <laughs> that's really excellent I mean is there any just from a purely kind of self-motivating standpoint is there any kind of like processes you feel like um, help you feel more comfortable with that kind of connection that kind of relationship of presenting your work to someone else to be displayed I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to, to answer that with something specific yeah. I think that I'm happy when people ask me questions about a piece um, because it, it, it gives me the opportunity to see what they see in it or some aspect of it and then and then bring that out. Well, so I, I do want to jump back a little bit and we might be jumping around on time a little too, um, but when, when you did mention that you, you first came to Phoenix and then you said you created your own firm and everything, what, was there anything about Phoenix in particular that drew you here? When I came to Phoenix, I had been living in Boston for six years, a, a beautiful city, and a city that um, you, you, can't, you can't paint a, a window without somebody having an opinion about it. <laughs> and that's good and bad. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of history there um, and, and a different problem for, for architects working in the city because as many of the projects that I worked on you have all of these people that have opinions and, and, you know, objectives about it. And Phoenix is a very young city. And so what I saw in Phoenix is that it's a place to invent yourself. It's a place that, um, uh, it's like a teenager on steroids. It's, it's like, you know, all bulked up, but it's not all done. 
Um, so there's a lot of opportunity to help mold and shape the city. Love that. I mean, that's a that's a great way of looking at it. Do you do you feel like that's something that you um, see in a lot of upcoming artists around town now that you've kind of uh, been uh, part of the community for a while now? Oh, absolutely. Um, some of the artists that I admire, they they take their roots, they take the the inspiration of the city, um, and they and they put all that together. Now, how do you? I guess you in the communal sense too, <laughs> like the, the royal you. Um, how, do, how do you cultivate something like that? When you see an artist um, who's, who's trying to kind of explore and who's um, really celebrating that idea of uh, growing themselves, you know, and, and being in, a, in that adolescent stage, how does somebody help develop that? Uh, I think, uh, number one, giving them a platform. Um, some of the people around town that, that do that, um, Laura Dragon, Ted Decker, Lisa Setti, uh, even Java Magazine, Robert Centenary, um, they're all people that see talent and, and help to promote it, help to give the artist a voice, a stand, a, something to do. It's, it's also something that Nathaniel and I are interested in with Phoenix Art Spaces, is finding artists that maybe it's their first art show. Um, and and they, they don't even know about framing or any of those things. But give them a chance, encourage them. Don't let them get hung up on, I can't afford frames or I can't, well then, then paint on some wood that you find, you know, just create. I think that's the biggest thing is helping people not stop themselves. Well, but everybody else is so much better than me. Or, I'm, I've never been in an art show, or I don't know how to do that. Well, start. <laughs> do it. I love that advice. And uh, even beyond Phoenix Art Spaces, I know that you know with your other spaces as well, that seems to be something you focus on. You have performances at uh, Urban Beans. You know, you have live music sometimes here as well, things hanging up on the walls. You have the art lab as well, where people can develop themselves. So is, is it always something that, that you have people approach you and you kind of see what you can do that to help them out? Or are you actively out there looking for something in particular? Well, both. Um, and people approach us and, and we consider that. But we also, um, if we see somebody, you know, we try to encourage them. Um, because I think that the world is a better place for more artists. Um, a friend of mine, Joe Ray, he's an artist and he has done a lot of gone to schools and done art and he told me this story he said when I when I go to a um, kindergarten class I ask them who who in here is an artist and all the hands shoot up and when I go to a sixth grade class I say who in here is an artist very few hands so the the in, encouragement part is that we are all artists that's at the core of my belief we are all artists um, what is our art? How do we present it? How do we how do we put it out? How do we how do we stop the the um, the naysayers from? Well, I'm not an artist. Well, I don't. I can't do art. I yeah. no. You can. Yes, do art. Love that. And specifically thinking about the the art lab, the Phoenix Art Lab, which I think is such an, a fantastic space and fantastic idea um, that's out there. How do you? How do you approach a space like that, where where really it's it's sole purpose and sole um, like reason for being is to give people a place to do what they need to do otherwise? Um, how do you how do you put something like that together for them? First, you say yes. <laughs> Whatever the question is, you say yes because 
if you if you stop to think about something, it it stops creativity. It it stops. So say yes, even when you're uncomfortable saying yes, even when you think maybe I shouldn't say yes. Just say yes. You can deal with the problems that may arise later. You can deal with all of that. But what what you won't get if you don't say yes is, is you won't get the the phenomenal things that that bubble up that happen that just occur um, what about from more of, more of a practical standpoint I mean when it comes to what elements you're going to include in something like that do you do you feel the the onus is on you a lot to kind of provide resources and materials and stuff for people or are you somebody who, who kind of says if you want to do this kind of bring what you what you need well, for printmaking, I encourage people to bring a sketchbook, and you can use various different things to to do your printmaking. You can use plant materials or stencils, but you can also just use sketches. I, I ask people to think about, you know, color palettes because they mix their own colors. But we have a lot of art books and and even magazine. You know, if if you think about the the graphic arts as an art. When you look at a magazine and you look at the at like a national magazine, you look at the ads. There is a lot of thought that has gone behind that into the the shapes, the colors, the palette. And so when you when you see something that catches your eye, then this is what I tell people. Then then look at why does it catch your eye? Is it the combination of colors? Is it the um, the the shapes, the forms, that kind of thing? And I think I'm realizing as I'm as I'm hearing the answers and, and as I'm asking the questions, some the kind of underlying thing I think I'm asking these last questions is when it comes to developing new artists, how much hand holding do you feel like you need to give? You know, how how much do you feel like you need to like when you mentioned that okay, some of them just don't even know about framing, how much of that do you feel like it's your responsibility as as someone who wants to help them and encourage them to to let them do it themselves and how much do you th- feel comfortable like giving them? Well, I always encourage people to look for resources and, and resources that we know about. We certainly pass on to them. Um, we, we encourage people to explore on their own uh, and things that, that we might know how to do. For instance, I call them print workshops, not classes, because I'm not teaching. I'm, I'm allowing. And so I, um, I may talk to them about technique, I may tell them, you know, you've got too much ink there, so what's going to happen when it goes through the press is it's going to squish out. And I had one artist that was so excited by that, he just kept putting blobs everywhere and everything was a squish painting. And he loved it. And so, so nothing is wrong. It's, you know, another artist might carefully lay out something and, and I, I can tell that if that ink ran, it would not make them happy so I try to let them know this is the result then they decide do I want that result so if they say oh really and I say well here's how you can remove some of that ink and and push it through so now focusing on uh, printmaking and another a couple of those um, specific mediums that I've seen that you played played with a little bit um, I noticed that on the flyers for the the workshops they're they're monoprint specifically um, I don't know too much about printmaking but I know that monoprint it's kind of unique features that it is unique it is one of a kind thing is there anything that draws you to that particularly oh yes absolutely I I love the um the, the element of you can put some of it into it, but you really don't know what you'll get until you print it. And so there's a, 
kind of um, controlled chaos that goes on. You, you, you put things together and you kind of know the direction that it will turn out, but you're not sure. And so some things become background for other things. Some things, it's, it's exciting. It's exciting to see, wow, you know, because, it, because of the process. And it's too long to go into now, but the process helps determine the outcome. That's, that's a little surprising to me because it seems like with someone with an architectural background, it would be a little antithetical to like, kind of put things in God's hands for a second. And um, you know, it seems like a lot of um, architecture is, is about eliminating variables and, and making sure you, you know, at the final product is as much as what it was on paper as possible. So that, that seems a little, yeah, a little conflicting. Is, is that something that you've ever thought about before? Or? Um, that's an interesting way to put it. And I, I think that, you know, what I, what I love about architecture is there will be some surprises as well. Um, there's a there's a fourth dimension that people talk about, which is time, and and that means how you move through a piece of architecture. So, as a for instance, um, you know how how you approach a, a building and then enter the front door. I can't even with modeling, I can't entirely predict what that's going to feel like. I. I can put together the pieces and the elements that will um, move it towards what that is. Um, but I think that's a, a little bit of a, there is always a surprise in architecture. It, it is not as um, stringent as, as people think. Interesting. That's no way. Um, so, along with the workshops, I know you've done a couple other kind of community events that are centered around specific. Uh, types of art like I know that you did something with the blockhead where you're doing the woodblock prints um, and then you did uh, I saw a fire for a skate deck art actually that was really interesting um, so when it comes to doing um, kind of specialty things like that is there a lot of preparation that for for you is that something that you just like to kind of jump in head first without thinking too much or how do you approach you know kind of the specialty art type things I think that there's definitely some some thinking that goes on there's some parameters um, you want to be able to set up conditions to be able to respond to. That kind of gives you some comfort because if you if you have all those conditions set up, then you can okay now there's my jumping off point. Now I can add to it and and really make it whatever the art is. And what do you feel like is the value of events like that? Events that are very specialized. They're very centered around you know one specific type of thing: monoprint workshops, skate deck art. You know, what do you feel like that that gives back? We, we did a show where we asked everybody to do something around the theme of fish. Um, we didn't give them any kind of parameters, just about fish. And so that was a way to kind of pose a question to the artist that they had to answer. And their answer was whatever the art piece was. So in that way, it's, it's kind of a collaboration. It's, it's exciting to see what somebody does with a theme. Um, and then for the viewer that comes to see that, it's it's exciting to see this theme and how it's interpreted. Okay, so it just kind of gives somebody kind of carte blanche to approach something however they'd like to. And maybe, do you, do you feel like you ever get in artists who wouldn't have maybe approached that type of art without uh, having that kind of platform? Oh, yes. Um, we, we see artists get excited about being asked 
being challenged, um, giving them the, the beginnings, the stepping off point. And again, it's about questions. And so you, you pose that question to them and then they get to then answer that. So it gives them a, a, a framework. I love it. Okay. Well, I, like to, I think we probably kind of wrap up now. Um, the last couple questions I'd like to ask. First off, any artist in town that you want to give any kind of particular recognition to? Anyone you think deserves a shout out? Cheryl Marine is a, a fabulous artist. She works in um, two dimension and three dimension. And um, she has been in the valley for a while. She's shown at various places. The last place she showed was at Foundry uh, downtown, the new artist hotel. And uh, I think her work is imaginative and inspired and very personal on the one hand, but it allows people to then uh, bring themselves into that and and uh, feel that personal connection. Anybody else at the top of your head? Gary Beals is a really good artist. He has lived a very long career and has reinvented himself multiple times. Um, and I, I really admire his work. All right. And uh, last any kind of personal projects, websites, anything that you want to plug? Um, well. One that I'm uh, love following and seeing the progression of is Bitter Nasty. It's a, a musical group that my partner is involved in, and um, they are continuing to create music and um, inspire one another in their in their music making. Excellent, love it. Okay, um, and obviously we can come visit any of your locations around the area. <laughs> I'll make sure to put some links in for that too. Um, finally, if you were to meet someone who is trying to go down a similar path to you, very first day of it, uh, what advice would you want to give them? Don't question yourself so much. If you have something in mind, start down that path because answers will come to you. Um, the more you start, the more you do, the more you are. Um, uh, exposed to, to people, places, things, and they all inform you. Uh, don't, uh, don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. Don't question yourself. I love it. All right, Virginia, thank you so much for your time. <laughs> thank you, Tony. Special thanks to Nick Machete for writing our theme music and Taylor Machete for all of her support. If you are enjoying the podcast so far, don't forget to follow us and leave nice ratings on Facebook, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Pinecast.co. And if you or someone you know is pursuing something artistic in the Phoenix area and you'd like to be on the podcast, write to me at starvingartistsphx at gmail.com.